Today's episode of the Triple Threat Podcast is brought to you by Blue Chew. Hey, the American dream, Dusty Rhodes used to have a saying, take care of business, baby. And if you got business to take care of tonight with your better half, the best way to do it is get to bluechew.com right now because only right now. If you use the promo code FRANCHISE, you're going to get your first shipment free. And all you got to do is pay $5 shipping and handling. Making sure, like Dusty said, take care of business, baby. You're going to be able to take care of it right tonight. It's the first ever chewable, so you're not going to have to wait at that doctor's office for a prescription. It's fast-acting, and you can use it on a full stomach. So if you've got business to take care of tonight, like the American Dream said, take care of it right. BlueChew.com and the promo code FRANCHISE. (laughs) The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. He's controversial. 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now. He's outspoken. You will tell your kids and your grandkids and your great, great grandkids. And he tells it like it is. That you watched a great athlete named the franchise. And he was the greatest world heavyweight champion of all time. He is the franchise Shane Douglas. And you are listening to the Triple Threat Podcast. Prepare to get your ass franchised. Triple Threat Podcast being brought to you today and powered by the two-man power trip of wrestling's podcasting empire. If you didn't know by now, my name is Chad, and as always on the two-man power trip, I'm joined by my tag team partner, the one and only JP John Paz. And on this show, for episode number 67, we're hoping he's back here in one piece. He had a hell of a weekend, but I'm assuming, because we dialed him, and I kind of know he's on the line, that he is still with us. But we're so happy he's back. We love him to death. But franchise Shane Douglas, Shane, welcome back from uh, your trip down to New Orleans. Hope uh, hope everything's going well with you tonight. Yeah, you know, nursing nursing a few things, but uh, yeah, trip down and back was fine. And uh, you know, it's uh, it's nice taking a little respite down there. But good to be back. Down uh, a little uh, southern comfort, a little uh, you know, a little southern home cooking, and. Uh, I don't know. I hear the pizza is pretty good down in uh, New Orleans. At least what they used to cut the pizza is uh, <laughs> is pretty good. But glad to hear yeah. you're uh, you're back. Hopefully in one piece. Uh, yeah, one piece. Maybe a little bit of uh, duct tape here and there. But uh, you know, look, it's in this business. Like Paul Stanley said a long time ago, if you want to be a politician, don't bitch when you have to wear a tie. If you want to be a pro wrestler. Don't bitch you to come back with a few uh, ounces of skin left behind. <laughs> hey, and I'll never be able to hear the name Paul Stanley ever again without thinking of what Vince Russo said. Uh, <laughs> what you said when you <laughs> saw Paul Stanley. Paul Stanley. I still get, <laughs> I'm still yeah. laughing about that. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, that's pretty good. But yeah, we're back here again. Number 67. You know, a lot going on in the world of the franchise. Is always running around like a chicken with his head cut off. Don't know sometimes how he has the uh, the time to squeeze in the Triple Threat podcast, but this guy, the, for Shane, I'm talking about you. You are it's such a testament to your ability to get out there and conversate with the fans that you make the time, and uh, it's always great to uh, have your voice on the airwaves. Well, yeah, thank you. I mean, I, I really do enjoy talking to the fans. Uh, you know, as everybody knows, I it's not happenstance that I've stuck in this industry as long as I have. I, I love the professional wrestling industry. And, you know, to see that there's a resurgence of sorts that we're seeing, uh, you know, the show Saturday night, you know, let's, let's get right to it. Luke Hawks 
uh, in Metairie, uh, Louisiana, right outside of New Orleans. Uh, you know, they're, they're, you know, you don't just fill a building up. You know, it, the days are going to put a name on the marquee and say, okay, that, this building's going to sell out or do, you know, great business. It, promotion is simple elbow grease. You go out and you bust your ass. And what I saw in Metairie <clears throat> this past Saturday night was an enthusiastic crowd uh, that understood what they were there for. Uh, you know, you know, their feelings towards me aside, uh, it sounded to me from what I was listening to in the back is that they got a great show, and that's not happenstance. So, in that respect, I'll give uh, Lou Cox credit that you know he did the he put in the elbow grease. He did what he had to do to fill that building and to give that audience their money's worth. And that's something you see very rarely today in, in the wrestling business. At the same time, we see the, you know, as you know, I, I discern between uh, professional wrestling and sports entertainment. As we see the sports entertainment product, everything dropping, television ratings down, house show attendance down, everything down except the TV contracts that Fox and NBC Universal are so willing to throw their money out for, on that level, any wrestling fan that watches that can see that that product is on the wane. At the same time, we see independent shows, like I was at in Metairie, Louisiana uh, on Saturday night, uh, uh, the venue's full or damn close to full and getting a damned exciting show from start to finish. So, you know, you, you compare. You know, take the two facets, sports entertainment and professional wrestling, and ask any wrestling fan which one they stand behind. And I'm pretty certain that the vast majority of the fans will stand behind professional wrestling as opposed to sports entertainment. Just validating what I've been saying all along. Yeah, and Luke Hawks shared a, uh, a video on Twitter of, like, he kind of did like a 360 view of the house. And uh, it was impressive. I mean, for a guy who built up his territory the way Luke Hawks has, and somebody who does venture outside of just his home base and does shows in other markets, I mean, just an amazing spectacle to see what the crowd looked like. And for it not to just be a one-match show, and obviously you guys tearing the house down and being a vicious, bloody, you know, insane main event. I mean, the card had a lot of stars on it, had a lot of great up-and-coming talent. And it seems like when you find a really good independent show, it's the balance that really draws you in and keeps you interested when you go to a show like that. Yeah, no doubt about it. Look, and any of the fans that have followed along with us know there's no love lost between Luke Hawks and I. Luke has run his mouth about me for years, tearing a page out of my uh, my history book with Ric Flair. Uh, but I got to say this up front, and this isn't kissing anybody's ass. Uh, it's just stating a fact. Uh, being in the ring with him that night, Saturday night, and, you know, I've stood in the ring across from some of the best in the business, you know, in the years that I've been in the industry. Uh, Luke Hawks gave as good as he got. Uh, he didn't backpedal. Uh, there was no, you know, stepping aside or trying to detract from the things that he said. He backed up everything he said and, uh, you know, it was a hell of a fight. I, I Unfortunately, I came out on the short end of the stick. But, you know, the fact that I, my age is where I am, uh, that I'm still able to get into the ring with a guy like Luke with all the the, the verve and, and vim and vigor that he had going into that match, because let's face it, he had something to, to prove. Had he lost to me that night, Saturday night in his home arena, that would have been a much blacker mark on his than if I had lost in that building. So, you know, I, I give him credit all the way around, A, for promoting an incredible show, B, for laying it on the line, C, for giving as good as he got, and D, not being afraid to put it all on the line. Because in this business, as you know, if you put it on the line and you end up on the short end of that stick, especially against a guy that's got a, a pretty big name in the industry, you're very likely to set yourself back quite a bit. Luke Hawks detracted from none of that. He stepped back from none of it. So for all those things I just said, he's got my respect. That's going a long way from a guy who took a pizza cutter to your head on Saturday night. 
yeah, yeah. That's the first time it's ever happened in my career. And, you know, as I'm, I'm walking around Pittsburgh today and yesterday with, uh, you know, some pretty nice gouges on my face uh, from that pizza cutter. Uh, you know, everybody's looking at me like I was, I just come out, I was in a car wreck. You know, it's, uh, uh, you know, not fun. I'd much rather have my pizza cutter cutting my pizza than slicing my face up. Now, before we get to the elephant in the room, which was the uh, lack of triple threat podcast support in uh, Metairie, Louisiana, I don't know what your what the atmosphere was like. I know it's been pretty contentious uh, back there for you when it comes to some of the other guys because of the tension between you and uh, and Luke. But did you get to see or uh, watch Billy Gunn's son perform that night in uh, Metairie? Well, I've seen his son perform a couple times before, and. You know, it's it's uh, it. You know, first of all, for me, it's always a a time warp to, to you know see these kids that you saw as infants as babies. You know, now getting in the ring and starting to forge out their own career. Uh, I didn't get a chance to see any of the matches that night, but I did pay close attention. I listened uh, to everything, and the audience from the start of that show to the end, and especially when Billy's son went out uh, and they went out to perform. You know, the, the crowd, again, from the start of the show, you could tell we're getting their money's worth. They really enjoyed the product that they were getting. You, I love seeing, you know, the fact Brian Pillman Jr. is out there now doing his thing. Billy Gunn's son, yeah. Aust, Austin Gunn or Austin Sapo. I don't know what he's going by, but I think Austin Gunn, you know, kind of like yeah. the spitting image of Billy Gunn, who, of course, in his own right is like, you know, stuck in the time warp somewhere and finding the... Yeah. Uh, the, the fountain of youth still in amazing shape, but you know, like I said, the, the elephant in the room is the lack of uh, triple threat podcast backing. I mean, and Shane, I was busy personally, so I, I can attest for my own absence, but your buddy on the other end of the line here, JP, the guy who uh, made his presence felt in Philly, nowhere to be found in the, uh, uh, in the Mardi Gras state. I was desperately looking because it reached a point, you know, when, you know, if you can't pull the chain out of your boot, you start looking for that that friendly face in the crowd. And lo and behold, like you said, no triple threat backup and support. But uh, when we comes time to renegotiate contracts for the podcast, we might have to take that into consideration. <laughs> JP, come on, where, where were you hiding? Under a rock? Where you uh, did you get lost? Your shoes tied together? What happened? I don't know. Maybe I was just a little overconfident in, in Shane. I just I remember what happened in Philly. Got a little overconfident. I really didn't think Luke had a chance. I didn't think he'd get uh, so sadistic with the pizza cutter and then the two by four and basically bringing out everything but the kitchen sink to beat Shane. I was I guess a little overconfident. I thought, eh, Shane will handle it. He beat him in Philly. Why not beat him in Louisiana? But uh, I guess I was wrong on that one. Yeah. Again, I, I, you know, looking back at that, you know, hearing you say that, you know, Luke Hawks is not known as the guy to go to pizza cutters and two by fours, and uh, you know, that's something more I expect from a Terry Funk, a Mick Foley, a Sandman. Uh, but I got to give Luke Hawks credit again because, you know, he went he went into the bag of tricks on Saturday night and did things that I've never seen him do before and resort to things I've never seen him resort to before. And quite frankly, as a street fight, I really thought it was in my favor uh, stepping into the ring on Saturday night because, let's face it, I've had a bit of experience at this. But, you know, when uh, there was a moment frozen in time in my head when I was against the ropes trying to catch some wind, and he grabbed me by the hair and started slicing my face with the uh, pizza cutter. And I thought to myself for a brief second, what the fuck am I doing? (laughs) Why am I not sitting in Pittsburgh right now with my feet up drinking a martini someplace? Uh, But, you know, taking nothing away from him. He brought the fight. He stuck with the fight. And he dug to a level. I had never personally seen him dig to before. And like I said, over and under put on a hell of an event for Metairie. Louisiana on Saturday night. So I'm man enough to say it. You know, it's, you know give credit where credit's due. Is the heat dissipated? Uh, you know, I look myself in the mirror every day. I, 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 
you know, in the morning, it's a little bit difficult to just say, well, I'll just walk away and, you know, put the guy over. But uh, on that particular night, Luke Hawks had his favor and was able to do things, uh, resort to things I'd never seen him resort to before. And for that one night, I give him all the credit in the world. You know, in one aspect you see like all right independent wrestling is is alive very well and we hear a lot of the same names coming up when they say hey oh you got to go out and see this guy wrestle you got to go out and see this guy wrestle oh my god this guy's coming to your town he does amazing moves and this and that but when a bare bones street fight can be the draw i mean to me that's like there's nothing better than that in the business and obviously i mean it's great for you too that you're you know you're <laughs> Shane Douglas is still the main event, baby. Whether uh, anybody wants to disagree or not, he's still on the top of the card all these years later. But how about this little X factor in and take us inside the match here for a second? A little, uh, you know, a little insight from the the squared circle perspective. Now you got a friendly face in there with Stevie Richards, who's kind of playing both sides of the fence. He's you know a longtime cohort of you going back to ECW, but he's also a friend of Luke Hawks. Now, how does he kind of play into the match as an impartial view? Because I know he did take a pretty mean belly to belly at one point. Well, you know, he pretty much, from my perspective, was a non-factor in the match. Uh, you know, in my in my memory banks, what I remember seeing is Luke Hawks. Uh, I don't remember Stevie being a factor in the match uh, until the very end, and. You know, when I believe I had the match wrapped up and he decided to step in, I, I didn't expect it because I knew there had been heat between him and, and uh, Luke Hawks. And, you know, I reacted as I would react. I was ready to hit the metal belly on Luke. And instead, Stevie stepped in and stopped my momentum for a split second. And after that, as soon as I had done that, a second referee rolled into the ring and I said, screw it, you know, if, 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 what are they going to disqualify me? Uh, and I popped him uh, and then went back to where I left off with, with Stevie. I, you know, understand that in ECW, for all the fans that think, like, all of us ECWers, we're all, we all get along great and everything's hunky-dory and we're all part of a family. Uh, the further we get away from the ECW years, you can start to see people like Stevie, who's carved out an incredible niche for himself in the business. Uh, it seems to me there's less and less of that respect factor that we used to see in ECW. Uh, just as I had given to the Terry Funks and Kevin Sullivan's and Eddie Gilbert's before me, that we saw in ECW, you see less and less of that today. Did Stevie try to uh, get you get you in some uh, resistance bands before uh, the night was over? Did he try to give you a couple good uh, exercise tips? Yeah, he, he was back there talking to all the guys in the back, and he got there very late because the weather heading into uh, to New Orleans was was pretty bad and late on the flight. So he got there pretty late, you know, not long before our match, you know, maybe 20, 30 minutes, and by the time he got changed and uh was ready to go we didn't really get a chance to talk until after the match yeah that was uh you know those resistance bands he's got a pretty good thing going with his uh his little side project his fitness project i mean he's doing unbelievable uh magical transformations with people who get on this 12-week resistance band program i've looked into it and it's definitely something uh you got to be ready for look when you look at stevie and you see a guy who when you go back to ecw was just sort of uh, what Raven called them, and they were called themselves Raven's Dog and Pony App. And then you see Stevie Richards come out of that after ECW and work his way up, not just in the ring, but physically getting himself into the shape he's got himself in. Uh, you know, it, it really is inspirational to see what he's done and, and how he's carved it out for himself. And now, you know, turned that into a side industry for himself to make money from. Uh, you know, kudos to, to Stevie because, you know, not many people in the industry have the volition to go out and carve something out like that for themselves. And, and yet Stevie's done it in, in no small way. I, not just wrestling fans, but there are a lot of people that were just looking to lose some weight, get into a 
in shape uh, that knows Stevie Richards is, and he does a great job of it. So, you know, all the respect in the world for anybody that's willing to travel a path that few others, if any, have ever traversed before. It's a good thing he came up with that now versus in 96 because that could have killed the whole uh, Blue Meanie character <laughs> if he got Meanie on the bands back yeah. in 96. Yeah, no kidding, right? And, and, and let's face it, the one thing you really got to give Stevie credit for the ECW years is having what I consider to be the all-time greatest mullet in professional wrestling history. And as somebody who rocked the mullet for a few years, I can tell you, <laughs> my best mullet never touched Stevie Richards' mullet. That that was one incredible mullet. Era. <laughs> I gotta tell you, I mean, I, I love Stevie and what he does now, but I mean, his time in '95-'96 in ECW was so underrated as like a guy who was just—he was a, a, such an integral part of so many shows, and not as as the flunky. He made the flunky like a real come-to-life character and all those things that he was doing, whether it was the comedy or getting in a match and being competitive, it was like everything he did was just unbelievably entertaining at that point. And it was like, it, it let that light on ECW shine in that it wasn't all the blood and guts, that there was some other little elements that could draw people in from different you know aspects of being a wrestling fan. Look, let's face it. If you go back and you just off the top of your head, think of some of the most memorable moments in ECW history. Uh, the Blue World Order, uh, you know, uh, Stevie Richards and uh, Blue Meanie and Nova, you know, doing what they did, those were, you know, every, for all the people that just want to take a shot and say, ah, you should have a blood and guts company. You go back and you watch their segment. They were as entertaining as anything you would see in any of the big companies uh, before or since and really helped set a tone for ECW. I mean, it's basically, you can't ever have every segment, every match going out and decapitating somebody and spilling quarts of blood and everything else and keep doing that one after the next, after the next. And the BWO really delivered the goods. You know, I don't want to use the phrase comic relief, but they really did serve as almost a, an entertaining uh, release valve, you know, to allow some of that tension to dissipate so that the buildings didn't get into full gear riots most of the time. Uh, but they really did entertain the crowd. They really did uh, deliver. And, and for Stevie, from, from Stevie's point of view, you could tell then, looking back now, that he saw something bigger in the grand scheme of things for himself. He wasn't just a flunky. He was not just a guy out to support one of the top guys. But Stevie Richards saw a path for himself leading down the road to become something after ECW and post ECW. And, you know, for that, it's really hard to say anything negative about. You know, it really does get a lot of respect. Uh, and the fact that he's a great guy. You know, it's, you add those things together and see what he's done with his career since ECW, when it would have been very easy for him to just sort of melt off into the woodwork as being. You know, part of the blood and guts uh, company that, you know, a little bit of humor here and there and sail off into the sunset. Stevie Richards has continued to be a force in the professional wrestling industry. And so it's really hard to find fault with that. Did they ever break you at all when you were in like full-blown franchise mode where you're ready to tear the head off of somebody and you kind of either look over and see them or saw something they were doing and it kind of broke that like... Broke that franchise, you know, like uh, mindset that you were getting into? Uh, almost every time. That's why I, I try to ignore them as much as possible because, uh, you know, when you see them dressed up or getting ready to go through the curtain, you know, they, so everybody understands what you saw on camera is what we saw in the dressing room. It wasn't like, okay, let's flip the switch and go out and be the BWO. What they were doing in front of the cameras is the same thing they were doing in the dressing room. And it really did, you know, pull your attention away from whatever mindset you had. And they were compelling. You couldn't not watch. You know, it wasn't like, oh, hey, there's these really entertaining guys over there, but I'm getting ready for this big match. So I'm just going to ignore them. Of course they drew your attention because as good as they were on camera, they were every bit that good in the dressing room. 
Yeah, they definitely were. They're uh, much needed comic relief, but also long lasting power for each of them. I mean, everybody stayed within the business, uh, did some stuff. I mean, obviously, you know, uh, Nova would go on to, uh, you know, make it up to a talent relations position in WWE. And, you know, Meanie's always been very relevant, especially anytime there's a show coming through Philly. I mean, it seems like Meanie's got a special spot on it. He's, he's done, you know, run-ins or he's done special appearances with House of Hardcore. It's, yeah. it's pretty cool to see. But to think it came out of a parody, you know, I know they did other parodies, but still the BWO coming out of the parody of the uh, the NWO. Hey, one thing that we could say, two-man power trip, we uh, we covered the whole entire BWO top to bottom. We had all three guys on. So we always love uh, we always love a little bit of BWO, but they did parody the NWO, and two friends of the NWO had a big Saturday. So we're recording this on a Monday. So your day was – all right, let's see. You were technically wrestling at night on Saturday, and in Australia the WWE had a big show going on Technically here Saturday morning, so I guess what was it Sunday night in Australia? I don't know, but did, was it, did you hear anybody talking about this big WWE show while you were down in Louisiana? Uh, I did not, honestly. I, I've not heard uh, even since being back. I've not heard anything other than they were holding events down there. That's the only thing I've heard. Uh, but again, I haven't been online a ton, uh, but I've I've not heard anybody. You know, going out of their way to really, you know, beat, you know, uh, hey, there was this big show in in Australia. You know, the other, but I will say, I, I, I've got to bring this up because it's just, you know, one of those things that sort of, you know, goes along with the, the franchise history. I don't know if you guys noticed or not, but I still have a pretty full head of quack on top of my, you know, I got to get my hair cut every week and a half, two weeks because <laughs> the hair is so thick. But I saw a certain guy that <laughs> lost his smile decades ago. Seems like the, the that that line of ten rabbits jumping backwards won the victory. They were victorious, and Shawn Michaels as bald as a cue ball. There is a god. What a chrome dome! I love it. It, it, it. I've never been a religious guy, but goddamn, if that's gonna make you. Uh, happy. Maybe I gotta go to church this Sunday because <laughs> maybe he can find his hair when he finds his smile. What? What was your first thoughts? Were you thinking that he was going bald? He shaved his head. He's doing it because he's trying to copy Triple H. Well, I mean, well, what are your What are your thoughts on on him being a, a completely bald? Honestly, somebody sent me a picture. I, you know, of course, as soon as I looked at it, I could tell it was Triple H. I didn't know who the other guy was. I'd like enlarge the picture and enlarge it and enlarge it. At which point, I, I started belly laughing. You know, it was. I, I, honest to God, all joking aside, I had no idea who it was. But he looked like a homeless. Is it just me that he looked like a homeless bad guy or something? <laughs> <laughs> he, he didn't look like some like elder statesman of the industry. Uh, you know, it was oh good God! I you know if he's trying to like Hunter, yeah, might have missed that one by a little bit. And uh, you know, it's uh, I would think with the kind of money he's made over the years, like you know, I, I mean, how much can a rug cost, right? I mean, for God's sakes, get a rug. I mean that because that it just doesn't look good. I mean, it's. Uh, you know, as I get up every morning, I gotta you know, dig around with the quaff on top of my head, and you know, go see my girl Anika to get my hair cut every like, like I said, week and a half, two weeks, because the the, the quaff just keeps on growing. It's sort of like, like uh, you know, you know, corn in the middle of August, right? It just keeps growing and keeps growing and keeps growing. But to see that somebody who couldn't hold on to his smile couldn't hold on to his hair. <laughs> I'm telling you, you can see how, you know, even in, as an old guy, you can still get entertained, and that's damned entertaining to me. <laughs> what do you think about him returning to the ring? Because obviously they were teasing Triple H and Shawn Michaels reforming DX versus Kane and The Undertaker at this Saudi Arabia show called Crown Jewel, which is coming up in a couple of weeks. And it seems like they're building to that. Michaels took a table bump. He took a tombstone. He took a choke slam. He took a bunch of spots on the floor. 
So he's basically almost all the way back after eight years of retirement. What are, what are your thoughts on that? Nobody gave him a noogie today. I, I'm hoping <laughs> nobody gave him a noogie on top of all that. You know, no air to protect the chrome dome. That must have been difficult. But, uh, you know, look, I, I mean, uh, all ribbon aside and looking at the product, when I look at this and I see The Undertaker and uh, Kane and Shawn Michaels and all these notable names being brought back, it beckons back to what I've said all along. If you can't get your kids over, your younger talent over, and you need to keep pulling the stars of yesteryear that have been retired, in some cases, for years now, then that's got to tell you that there's something broken in their system. Uh, you, you know, the Pittsburgh Steelers don't need to keep calling Terry Bradshaw back every playoff season. Uh, you can see where I'm going with this. It's, it's painfully obvious that in the day-to-day, week-to-week running of the WWE, somebody, writers, Vince McMahon, the agents, somebody's falling down on the job because they've certainly got enough young talent there that can get over. Uh, everybody knows my feelings for Samoa Joe and Bobby Roode. And if they need to still keep going back to pull the stars of yesteryear or yesterdecade uh, back to make that show a draw, then they've got some serious problems in what their current product is. Because think back about this. When Ric Flair and, and Hulk Hogan were the two big guys, they didn't need to go back and pull out uh, Buddy Rogers and Bruno San Martino to help sell the building. When Bret Hart and uh, uh, Kurt Hennig and, and that Rick Rude and that generation was on top, they didn't need to go back and pull in the Hulk Hogan's and the Ric Flair's. Uh, the same when Shawn Michaels and Undertaker were on top. They didn't need to go back and pull back all the stars from the previous generation. So the fact that they have to do it now, and they've done it consistently. They do it consistently for every WrestleMania. Now for these big shows overseas in Australia and upcoming in Saudi Arabia. The fact that they need to keep going back and hauling these guys out of retirement is nothing negative against those guys. It's negative in the way the industry, that company is being run, that they have to, they can't put their fortunes into the quote-unquote stars that they've supposedly made in WWE lately. They have to keep going back to the stars of yesteryear. I would have been mortified as one of the top guys on the card if you had to keep going back and calling back the guys from the generation or two before mine to help sell that house. Clearly, there's something broken badly in the WWE creative process. I remember when Heyman in 97, he was bringing back Tommy Cairo and, and Johnny Hotbody and they were main event in all the ECW shows. Oh, wait, that didn't, that never happened. Yeah, I was going to say you're scratching the <laughs> back of my head because I don't recall that. But, uh, yeah, it, it, uh, you know... It, Look, I mean, this is not just me saying this. You listen to the fans, and when you start to, like, dig into this stuff, and you see how, uh, you know, there was a big thing out today. As much as their stock has jumped in in this year, you know, that, you know, all the major uh, stockbrokers are either calling for a hold or a sell on that stock that had done so well. Why? And they dig into it, and they'll tell you that the house shows are – uh, in decline, attendance-wise. The TV ratings are in decline. Uh, the network buy, buy rate is in decline. And so even though they've signed these huge deals with Fox Sports and NBC Universal, uh, everything else is on the wane. So it's, you know, it's, I, I think now it's probably more a time for true fans, the ones that really love our industry, to ask themselves, why would Fox Sports, why would NBC Universal dish out that kind of money as every other number is dropping? And at the same time, you can now answer your own question as to why do they keep calling back the Shawn Michaels and the Canes and the Undertakers? Because all those other numbers are on the way. Uh, again, it goes right back to the WWE creative process. Somebody ain't doing their job. And... 
they're saying that the Saudis are, want their main event that they want. They want all the older stars. They want to give them more money. Those are the guys that will draw for for their people. That's what the people want to see. So I just think it's funny that Michaels is like, no, I'm not. Nothing's going to bring me out of retiring. I'm, you know, I'm staying retired. It's been eight years. Nothing can bring me out. All of a sudden, the Saudi prince comes and is like. Yeah, we'll give you. I don't. I don't honestly don't even know what the amount is, but I'm sure it's something like six figures. Like, oh, we'll give you six figures for a you know a tag match. Uh, you know, one 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 night payday. All of a sudden, he's back, baby, and he's taking bumps, and he, he he's back. You know, almost uh, <laughs> taking crazy bumps and do, doing what he used to do. And, and and for that six figures, you couldn't buy a decent rug. <laughs> it's, uh, uh, and the other the other part of this is I hope he doesn't go to Turkey, and if he does. Don't go to the Saudi uh, consulate because uh, sort of, you know, a little rumor going around that people that end up at the uh, Saudi consulate in Turkey sort of have a way of going in and not, it's like the uh, raid, uh, the, the raid motel, right? Cockroaches check in, but they don't check out. Uh, maybe we, maybe we ought to tell Sean to go visit the Turkey uh <laughs> Saudi Arabia consulate. <laughs> hey Shane, let's pause one second and remind everybody that today's episode is brought to you by Blue Chew and BlueChew.com. Hey, you don't have to be a doctor to know the benefits of Blue Chew, but for those of us who need to be enlightened, it's the first ever chewable, so you don't have to wait in that pesky doctor's office for a prescription. It's fast acting, and you can also use it on a full stomach. It also comes with very discreet packaging so that neb-nosed mailman doesn't get to know that you're going to be taking care of business with your significant other later on this evening. So right now, if you want to give Blue Chew a try, just go to bluechew.com and use promo code FRANCHISE. That's <laughs> FRANCHISE. you get your first shipment free, and all you've got to do is pay $5 for shipping and handling. Again, go to bluechew.com right now and use the promo code FRANCHISE. That's right. <laughs> FRANCHISE. Get your first shipment free and pay only $5 for shipping and handling. Again, bluechew.com. Use the promo code FRANCHISE and take advantage of our very special offer. I suggest you do this before, you know, the Chadster tries to buy out the entire stock. <laughs> Get to bluechew.com right now. You know, Shane, hmm. I want I kind of want John to take us in here because I didn't get to see any of the match. I'm, I guess I've said before, I'm not really watching the product, but I know John had an intricate... Uh, view of this and was really watching the show to see how it came off so john tell shane about the feedback of the match uh with undertaker and triple h uh seemingly you know they're billing it as the last time ever between undertaker and triple h but from what i'm seeing you know you told me you know your your opinion on it and then i was reading that people were enjoying it people hating it people like whatever but i would tell shane what the feedback's been and uh kind of break down what (laughs) really transpired in that match you know, it's funny. I was reading people online, and then I saw WB put a poll, who's your favorite match? And obviously, anybody with a brain would have said AJ Joe, because it was probably the best match of the night. Um, yeah. And then I saw that what what won by a landslide from these, these marks was uh, Triple H versus Undertaker. And I'm like, wow, is it the same match that I saw? Because that match literally was so slow. And they had so many screw ups, and there was so really it was just so bad put together. Triple H yelling out spots like you could hear what he what he's calling. It was really? uh, it was a disaster. Both looked terribly out of shape. Um, Kane had to come in and do a bunch of you know smoke and mirrors, if you will. Michaels took a bunch of bumps trying to make it look good, but yeah, it was awful. They just I, I mean, obviously Undertaker's fifty one, Triple H is forty eight, or whatever. I mean, they're older. But you figure they could could somehow put on a good match, but there were so many screw-ups. I thought it was awful. And, and one of the worst matches I've seen in a long time, to be honest. And I thought that 45 or 50% of the people that were voting on the poll liked the match. And, like, Joe AJ got, I think, 20% of the vote. Something really low. I was like, wow, these fans, I don't, I don't know what they're looking at. It's almost like they wanted the match to be good or they're going by their, their resume or something. But I just, it was, the match was awful. Well... I think you're at the nail on the head here, you know, because, uh, you know, first of all, anybody that knows Samoa Joe and AJ Styles knows that they're going to deliver the goods, right? I mean, you know, they're both, no pun intended, phenomenal, uh, great talents, uh, high impact, going to deliver the goods. Uh, but you can see again the nostalgia factor play into effect here, where 
you know, you see The Undertaker and, and uh, uh, Triple H getting, you know, just sort of a gimme because they are who they are and they wrestle as long as they have. But here's the part I don't get. And, and I, I preface up front saying, I haven't seen one second of the footage you're talking about. I certainly will dig into it tomorrow just to see it. But if if these guys don't have enough respect for their own performances to go in there and deliver the goods uh, and not do it in a way that you've got to yell out spots and you know people missing things and you know it's like to me why do it you know if, if you're the undertaker if you're Triple H if you're Shawn Michaels if you're Kane if you're whoever. Their legacy is set in stone. So why would you go out and demean your own legacy by having to yell out spots and and you know doing it in a way that you can't move to the same level that you did before? I mean, none of us do. I mean, look, I, I'm not sitting here for a second and saying, hey, I'm I move as well as I did 20 years ago. But uh, you know, to me, there's a certain benchmark that I have in my head. And if I can't meet that benchmark, then there's no reason for me to be in the ring. Uh, and yet, then you see the fans turn around and give it, you know, the, the double-blind, you know, uh, uh, kayfabe when you know, they're saying, this is the match of the night. And when, if you could black out the faces and just play that match side-by-side side with Samoa Joe and AJ Styles, you know damn right well which one the fans would say was the better match. Uh, you know, so the, again, I go back to this preponderance for the WWE to keep relying on their stars of yesteryear, taking nothing away from any of their legacies. Uh, but if you've got to keep relying on those guys to try to deliver the goods to make the show when you have talent as incredible as AJ Styles and Samoa Joe and, and a whole lot of others. Again, I don't even know if the card was, but I'm sure I know a lot of the guys have their contracts. If, at what point do you say, okay, it's time for us to pass the baton to the next generation? At what point does the WWE say, it's now time for us to put the focus on these guys instead of those guys? Uh, I don't know. I mean, only they can answer that question, but if I was a paying fan, as much as I respect Mark Callis and uh, even Shawn Michaels and, and Hunter and, you know, uh, everybody loves Kane, right? I mean, you know, he's a great guy. Uh, but if you've got to start pulling back into the show a guy who's a mayor of a major city <laughs> in, in America mm. to try to make that show, and at the same time, the fans then giving it the rubber stamp of, hey, this match was way better than this other match. I, I think you're painting yourself into a corner, you know, because there's no way that a uh, you know, fan base is going to say after they see that kind of a thing are, are going to come back and say, hey, you know, Samoa Joe and AJ Styles tore the house down over here, but there were other guys on the card and yeah. on paper, I would be mortified as a booker and as a promoter to have to resort back to stars of yesteryear or yester yesteryear. At the same time, I've got talent as talented as AJ Styles and Samoa Joe in the card. Uh, to me, this is playing as the nose on my face, and yet you can see them continue to do this. And I'm guessing they'll do the same thing in Saudi Arabia, and I'm guessing they'll do the same thing at WrestleMania. And what do you think are going through the heads of guys like Samoa Joe and Bobby Roode and AJ Styles and Seth Rollins and all the younger guys that are going out there and busting their humps only to see the older guys get the, the marquee and get the, you know, the grandeur and the positive fan feedback? It's a big question that needs to be asked. And I've been in a few dressing rooms, namely the WWE dressing room, uh, later the WCW dressing room, when there's a like a cancer in the dressing room uh, when you realize that no matter how hard you work, it doesn't matter because the politics of it are going to dictate that 
these other people are going to get the press and get the big push and all of that. Uh, you know, I can only imagine, and, and I thankfully doing it from a distance as opposed to being somebody under contract sitting there on a night to night basis. But I can only imagine what the feeling in the dressing room are from guys like Samoa Joe and AJ Styles and Bobby Roode and Seth Rollins and all the guys that talked about. Hey, but by the way, you guys see online, uh, John Cena has a new hairstyle. <laughs> I heard about it. Wow, I mean, he, it, it, he looked pretty bad at the show, and, and he did not take one bump, so that kind of should tell you something. <laughs> Why shouldn't he? Hell, if, the, if the other guys we just talked about were getting the you know, getting all the positive press, why should he go out and take a bump? It, it, after all, he's got, the, he's got the new haircut to talk about. Why take a bump? Why, why deliver the goods of the ring? got a damn new haircut. My HBK wishes he had that haircut. I know that. <laughs> yeah, right? It's, uh, yeah, uh, but hey, you gotta, you gotta admit, the new John Cena hairstyle was very, very reminiscent of the uh, the the uh, Justin Bradshaw JBL haircut, right? You know, he came on Fox every weekend. You know, it's, it's yep. like, hey, it worked for him. Why not for somebody else? <laughs> Part of on the side. Hey, you know, it's, it works. Why why put it in the ring? I mean, what? Why wrestle hard in the ring when all you have to do is put on a new haircut or <laughs> go out there bald as a cue ball? Uh, and that's all people are talking about. It's, Let's just say things must be a little bit easier today than whenever I was in the ring, because uh, back then you used to have to do this crazy thing called delivering the goods. <laughs> it is great that Undertaker is still out there, just from like a nostalgia point of view. I mean, obviously, maybe he shouldn't be main eventing thirty-five minute matches, you know, stuff like that. Maybe they could have yeah. done that a little bit better. But you know, nostalgia—it's like, oh, it's pretty cool he's out there, you know been doing it for 30 years it just strictly wb basically been doing it for 30 years so what is your history like with him i know you've wrestled him that i can find once in 1991 but what kind of history do you have with the undertaker i've always got along great with mark i got all the respect in the world for uh for undertaker mark Hallis. um he's a great guy he really is and, he, and he, you know for a big guy like that to go out for all the years that he did and work as hard as he did because one thing about Mark Callis is he wasn't lazy. You know, it wasn't like he'd go out and say, hey, well, the house is half empty, let's take it easy. The Undertaker went out on a night to night basis and busted his ass, and which is, I think, a big part of the reason why he's held in the esteem that he's held today. Uh, it didn't matter if you walked into, uh, say, the Pittsburgh Civic Arena and it was only half full. Uh, the Undertaker, you knew when he came out, was going to deliver the goods. And I think that's a huge, I, I don't think I know, that's a huge reason why the fans give him the respect they do today. And like you said, maybe he shouldn't be in there for 35-minute matches today. But the fans that are going, that are still going, the, the, the few percentages that are still going to the WWE shows, that takes them back to someplace previous. It takes them back to the good old days. When The Undertaker was on the card, you knew that he was going to deliver one hell of a performance. The fact that he's still trying to do it uh, is kudos to, to Mark. Uh, my lambasting is the company, that they would have to resort to that. Uh, it's more, I think, a slap to the company and a reflection, I think, of what we just mentioned a second ago, the waning TV ratings, house show attendance uh, numbers, uh, network buy rate numbers. Uh, that's why they got to keep pulling people like the Undertaker back. But the fact that he can still go out there and do it for 35 minutes, you know, it's got to get respect. Uh, how else can you possibly look at that? Mark and I have always done long grades and probably always will because of that. The match you guys had that I could find was on August 1st, 90, 1991. Undertaker defeats Shane Douglas at WWF Wrestling Challenge in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Do you remember that match at all? Zero. Uh, I, I remember wrestling Mark Callis in WCW um, uh, shortly before the time that I left. 
Uh, but I don't re- recall ever having wrestled him in WWF. Uh, my guess is in that time frame, because of where I was on the card in, in 1990, early 91, uh, that, you know, it was probably a pretty strong, straightforward Undertaker match, but I, I don't have any recollection of it. What When you guys had that match in WCW, I know we talked about it before. Wasn't there an issue with the heart punch or something? Didn't you not want to take the heart punch? Or what was the... I'm trying to remember what the yeah. uh, story was behind well, that. Well, there, there was... I had been off with uh, knee surgery. I, I had blood clots on my knee that had to be removed. And I was off for two or three weeks. And while I was off, I was getting multiple phone calls from Jim Ross and other people in the in the office that were just slamming like Sting and Lex Luger, the top guys saying that they were all complainers and whiners and, and you know, that WCW was not happy with continuing to pay them and push them because of the whining complaining and that they were going to break me and Johnny up. I was still with Johnny Ace at the time. And they were going to give me this huge singles push when I got back. The very first night I got back in Baton Rouge, uh, Teddy Long, well, first of all, in catering, my first day back from St. Lauder, and Missy High came and sat down and she said, you know, they were talking awful about you in the production meeting. <laughs> I've been gone for, at that point, about a month, I think it was. And at that time, I just thought, well, maybe, you know, maybe uh, Missy has it mixed up. And so I went looking and Teddy Long, you know, came up to me, who at the time was just, you know, managing Mark. He wasn't anything in the office that I was aware of. And he started telling me, well, you know, during about three, three and a half minutes, and Mark's going to beat for the heart punch. I had no problem putting Mark over. But with what I'd been told for that, those three, four weeks that I was off, that, that didn't jive with what I'd been told. And so there was, you know, a whole lot of drama and politics everything else that went, you know, went into it. It was just typical WCW. The fact, you know, to me, as I look back, the fact that WCW was able to stay in for the long haul, like they did, and that at one point they were able to, you know, blow past this, what was it, uh, 93 weeks or whatever, um, really is amazing when you consider there was that kind of politics going on you know, the backstages of WCW shows. You know, it was routine that what was spoken about in the office, the production meetings in the office in Atlanta, then when it got out to the shows in the venues, you know, whatever was talked about in the uh, office suddenly became exactly the opposite. And, you know, there was a lot of question as to whether or not Jim Hurd that were sitting in Atlanta, did they really know what was going on or were they really paying attention to what was going on in the venues? And I think in hindsight, looking back, you clearly see that they didn't. They had no idea what was going on in the venues. And that was a lot about what had to do with the undermining of WCW the first time, you know, when Vince took that commanding lead. And then later, you know, it took Bischoff coming in with pretty much a blank checkbook to pull the Hulk Hogan and the Kevin Nash and the Scott Halls away to create that 93-week run. Uh, but, you know, when you go back and you look at it just in the Monday Night Wars, just as what they are, take a step back and WWE, WWF against WCW. The, the main difference and the sole difference that deserves attention is that Time Warner didn't give a shit about professional wrestling. It was just something they had under their umbrella was a myriad of other things. On the other hand, Vince McMahon ate, slept, and breathed WWF, WWE. So you, you know, it's no big surprise to me, uh, and I don't think anybody else that follows professional wrestling, that with that understanding, how Vince was able to ultimately defeat WCW. Truth be known, WC, uh, Time Warner didn't give a shit about professional wrestling. If anything, they had the elitist view, much like CNN today, they had the elitist view that well, professional wrestling is beneath us. That's more redneck. That's co-dunk. We, you know, we're above that. 
And, uh, and meanwhile, Vince, you know, not only came back and brought it back in his favor, but he kicked the shit out of them to the point where they had to finally tap and sell out for pennies on the dollar. Shame on Time Warner. They capitulated. They didn't lose. They capitulated. Now, it is that time again. It is Ask Franchise Anything. Now, this was found via Twitter at 2Sweet4285. Travis Smith at the franchise, at the Three Threat Pod. Just wondering, whatever happened to Extreme Rising? It seemed like that project was taking off, and there was some buzz around it, then it faded. Was it money or the change in the biz? Hashtag no. AFA, hashtag franchise anything, ECW. It was, you know, when uh, Cody Michaels and I sat down and originally conceived of Extreme Rising, the entire idea was built around that if it's going to succeed, if it's going to be more than just a one and done, uh, the money we make tonight has to undergird the next show we have planned and, and so on and so forth. So Town A, in this case, Philadelphia, we have a show. We do very well on it. A lion's share of the profit that night has to then go into building Town B that would come next. And then Town B, the proceeds to Town C, Town D, and, and subsequently uh, so on and so forth. Uh, the problem was that in after the first, second, or third show, uh, one of the guys that Cody Michaels and I had brought on board, largely because he lived in Philadelphia and was able to do, he and his brother were able to do uh, on-the-ground work, uh, sent, sent Cody and I an email, I think it was, saying that we now worked for him and Extreme Rising was his, and we were his, basically his employee. And at which point I wished him well and left. <laughs> it's uh it was as simple as that. It, it was, you know, truth be known, when we launched Extreme Rising, uh, and don't take this the wrong way, but there was no reason for me to share accolades with anybody. Uh, I could have easily said, I'm going to take 90% of it, and you other four partners can split 10%. Uh, but I didn't. I split it five ways, believing in fairness, everybody's going to be working hard and we should all share it equally. And so whenever I got the emails telling me that I was now his employee and that extreme rising was his, I, like I said, I wished him all the best and left, as did Cody Michaels. And I think extreme rising lasted another one or two shows, uh, but there were a couple shows that were promised to the fans. I think one in, I know one in Pittsburgh and another in, I think, Philadelphia, uh, where money was taken for tickets and the shows never took place. Uh, you know, uh, our boy Steve could have got himself into a lot of trouble. At that time, there was a lot of buzz that interstate commerce and that kind of thing. I was long out of it at that point. And didn't wish bad on anybody, but you know, when when somebody's going to go and try to take that tack uh, after they've been treated more than fairly, uh, I think you know it, it's more than comeuppance. You know, you deserve what you get, and uh, the sad part of it is, as we saw in that first show, and then the second show, and I think even the third show uh, with Extreme Rising, there was a huge interest in it. And uh, those first couple shows we put on, I think, were very, very solid shows. Uh, delivered the goods. And uh, unfortunately, like I said, whenever uh, it became this issue of suddenly now one of those members is going to say, well, now everybody else is my employee and I'm taking over. Best of luck. And we saw what happened. Do you think that was the last, like, real attempt at not a revival of ECW, but somewhat capturing what was left of the magic? Do you think that was the last big attempt, you know, yeah. in the United States? Yeah, it, it was not meant to, to, to bring ECW back. It was meant to be an homage to ECW. And like you said, to capture some of that energy. And on that first show uh, in Philadelphia, I think it did that. 
in spades. I think it was a very, very solid show, albeit with some uh, curveballs that we didn't plan on. Sabu going down, uh, just incredible going down before the show and having to necessitate a, almost a complete rewrite. You know, because when you take somebody from match two to put them in the main event, now you've created a hole in match two. So you pull somebody from match four to put in match two, now you've created a hole in match four that you got to fill. So it was sort of like a, a domino effect. Um, you know, but I, the, the one thing I think as I look back and I remember since 2012, I think, uh, so six years ago, we tried very hard to put out that this was not in any way, shape, or form bringing ECW back. It was the playoff of what ECW was and to, to, to try to put that energy back into Avengers. And, and again, on those first couple shows that I was involved with, it seemed like it was doing that. But also, like I said earlier about the money being forwarded, uh, it came to my attention right around the time that I left that that money hadn't been being put forward to the subsequent shows. And so when you announce a show in Pittsburgh, you know, I mean, the money in the previous shows to put forward to it, you're now demanding, necessitating that you spend the money that's being bought on pre pre-sale to advertise the show, promote the show, pay for the venue, that kind of thing. That's a losing formula. It can't work. And it didn't work. Uh, which is what I think the biggest reason why Extreme Rising faltered. And hey, we brought it back full circle because that's where the war with Luke Hawks uh, really began was uh, the treatment back in the Extreme Rising days that he felt so uh, strongly about. So there you go. See, we brought it back full circle in one episode. See how easy that was? <laughs> hey, one final question before we get into the wrap-up. Uh, who looks better ball, Luke Hawks or Shawn Michaels? <laughs> Well, no question about Luke Hawks because he's more natural at it. Uh, one looks like he's supposed to be bald, and the other one looks like he did everything he could to hold on to it and couldn't. Looks like a bag, bag lady. Uh, but I'll let the fans decide which one is which. <laughs> very, very nice. So if you want to send in a question and you want to hear yours answered by the franchise, Hey, tag us on Twitter. We're going to be doing a little bit more of this. We had uh, that great submission comment after last week's episode. You can hit us up on Twitter at The3ThreatPod. If you want to send something a little more detailed, go right ahead and send an email to TheTripleThreatPod at gmail.com. It's almost like emails becoming very passe uh, these days because you can get that uh, Twitter response just as fast as you can an email. And uh, it's pretty cool that we got that submission that way. So please tag us in uh, any of those questions you have on Twitter. You can tag Shane as well. It's at the franchise SD. You can get John at Tumit and Power Trip and myself at Wrestling Pal. Head on over to our website, tmptofwrestling.com. There you can find all of the show download links and YouTube videos, as well as links that take you to the amazing franchise Shane Douglas ProWrestlingTees.com t-shirt collection. It's ProWrestlingTees.com slash FranchiseSD. There you can find the classic franchise logo with all of the amazing Pro Wrestling Tees designs that they have on there as well as the Triple Threat Podcast t-shirts as well. Can't forget those. And uh, also the franchise Shane Douglas action figures by our good friends at Figures Toy Company. So if you want to support all of us in this endeavor we have with Figures Toy Company. We've given away a couple figures already. We have another one coming very, very soon. So please support us and pick up that figure today. We've talked about it at length. Coming soon is the Francine figure. And Shane, while you were in Australia, I don't even know if you noticed, but they officially signed the estate of Chris Candido. So he will be joining the fray as well. I, I had heard that. They're fantastic. It's, uh, now if we can get one more with Bam Bam, we can put the triple threat. Uh, package out and again testament to uh, figures toy companies they're doing the heavy lifting to to bring the wrestling fans the uh, stars and the superstars that they want to see so another great move by figures yeah great move that was a uh, that was a big announcement while you were uh, you were still away and it's very cool I was uh, talking to Chris while he was putting that together and I know he was very excited to do so when uh, Chris's brother Johnny Candido uh, stepped in to help make that happen, which is uh, really cool. And Johnny, he actually follows us uh, on Twitter. He follows what's going on with the show. So if you're listening, Johnny, shout out to you. Thanks so much for uh, following the Triple Threat Podcast. 
And uh, you had a big weekend in Louisiana last weekend. So what's coming up in uh, the, the coming days here for the franchise, the ever-busy franchise, Shane Douglas? Yeah, this coming weekend I get a chance to lick my wounds a little bit. Dominic Dinucci and I will be going to New York for the uh, AuthorCon up in upstate New York. And uh, there's going to be a couple days of convention going and meeting some fans. So for anybody out there uh wants a chance to meet Dominic Dinucci and out to AuthorCon, uh, franchise will be there and looking to have a really good time. Anytime I get a chance to head out with Dominic, uh, to me it just takes it back to being a kid again, which ain't bad when you're this age. Uh, but it's always great to hang out with Dominic. And the fans get a chance to meet Dominic, uh, really begin to realize why they've been a fan of professional wrestling so long. Uh, because Dominic is the real deal. He's a definite throwback to professional wrestling preceding sports entertainment. And uh, the fact that he's still in such great shape and still so enjoys meeting the fans. So for all the fans uh, in the area, make sure they come to AuthorCon uh, this weekend. We'll be there uh, uh, the entire weekend and really looking forward to it. Dominic Dinucci. He's, uh, I mean, he's such a keepsake uh, to the wrestling business. It's so, uh, it's so awesome. And when we saw him in Pennsylvania two weeks ago, it was, uh, it was so cool. And, you know, I mean, I've only met him a couple times. I know, John, we've been around him a few times, but... He's just he's so welcoming to us, and uh, it's it's very cool the joking that he does. He's just he's uh, he's so lighthearted, and he's uh, yeah. you know he's always looking for a laugh. And funny thing was he gave my daughter one of his uh, autographed five by sevens, and it's great because uh, she comes over to me and she said, "Daddy, the man gave me this." I was like, "Wow, that's awesome! Thank you." <laughs> she goes, "No, it's for me." I was like, "Oh, okay. So yeah, yeah, it's for you. It's for you." So. As soon as she forgot about it, you took it from her, didn't you? It's in my cabinet right now. So, <laughs> <laughs> so Dominic made it into the cabinet. <laughs> what a dad. What a dad. <laughs> Absolutely. So with all that being said, I want to thank you for taking a listen today and uh, look forward to the coming weeks and uh, what we have in store for you here on the Triple Threat Podcast. Uh, oh, we also I just want to throw it out there. Uh, we're going to be posting it on Twitter after this episode uh, post, but we actually... Uh, are going to be giving away two VIP uh, very good tickets uh, this coming weekend's Bound for Glory from uh, Impact Wrestling. John and uh, I will be announcing a winner. We're going to be throwing the promotion on there right after this pro- this episode posts, and you'll see some of the details if you follow us on Twitter. we got a really cool uh, VIP experience headed your way, courtesy of Comda.com and uh, Impact Wrestling invading New York City this coming weekend. So, Look forward to that uh, later on uh, after you listen to the Triple Threat Podcast here. So, Shane, with all that being said, why don't you take us out of this episode, get us on the road to episode 68 for another week of the amazing Triple Threat Podcast. You know the drill. 67 big episodes, number 68 coming next weekend. If you want the lowdown of professional wrestling, one place to get it. Right here at the Triple Threat Podcast with the franchise, Shane Douglas. And the Chadster and JP. Tune in next week or get your ass franchise. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the two man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.